Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. Would you wear a rock? Well, (laughs) in Germany and Sweden, a rock is something you wear. In German, it's a skirt. And in Swedish, it's a coat. So it is funny in the United States, if you say, I'm wearing my rock, that could mean something like an engagement ring or a big diamond. But in other languages, it's something else. So welcome to the Global Marketing Show. That's your tidbit from Rapport International, who's the sponsor of the podcast. Rapport International connects you to anyone, anywhere in the world in over 200 languages with high quality written translation and spoken interpretation services. Today, we're taking a little bit of a different angle. We've got Marco Isever here who's the founding CEO of America EB5 Visa. So we're going to get into international business and how do you pull people in to work in the United States and some of the special considerations on that. I'm fascinated to hear that because I've been hearing more and more talk about people working cross borders. So he leads EB5 capital-related activities at Riverside Management Group, and he connects international investors with EB5 issuers. So we're going to get into all this and explain it. He recently launched CBP Invest, a global immigration company advising clients in second country citizenship in countries like Granada, Turkey, Portugal, Spain, Malta, and Greece some fabulous countries. Marco speaks Turkish and Latino Spanish fluently. He's got an MBA in finance from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And he's a graduate of Bogazisi University and Robert College, both located in Istanbul. So we met through Softland Partners and it's an honor to get to know you and what you do, Marco. So welcome to the Global Marketing Show. Thank you for having me. Yes. Yes. So tell us what an EB-5 visa is. So EB-5 visa is a way for a person who is not obviously a U.S. citizen to obtain a green card. There are many different ways to get a green card to be able to obtain permanent residency in the United States. EB-5 is one of those methods. There are essentially two kinds of visas in the United States, the non-immigrant visas and the immigrant visas. The non-immigrant visas are visas that the United States gives to people who do not have an immigrant intent, who are coming here as a tourist, as a student, as a part-time work, part-time meaning a few years, and then they're going to go back to their country. And there are a whole host of other types of visas that are non-immigrants. And then there are these immigrant visas, they're family-based, a spouse, parent, you know, like family-based visas, and then they're employment-based visas. The employment-based visas on the permanent side that lead to a green card, 
there are essentially five categories, EB1, EB2, EB3, EB4, EB5. So EB1 is given to people with exceptional qualifications. They really self-sponsor. Uh, they are, uh, have international, at least national recognition. EB2 are for people- So can who you give are... me an example of somebody that would be an EB1? It's a great question. I, I, I do not think that it is written exactly what it is, but I'll tell you who has a good chance. If they have articles written and published in internationally acclaimed, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, that type of places, repeatedly being quoted, professors who have done some incredible research and have gotten prizes, doesn't have to be Nobel Prize, but, you know, <laughs> you know, big prizes, all the way to, I mean, you have to be very good at what you do. You have to be, at the minimum, on a national level, very, very good at what you do. International, obviously, even better. So, so it's possible that a chef, who is incredible, you know, in whatever they cook, whatever they do, can get an EB one. A person could be a, a, a sports person. So, in other words, whatever it doesn't matter what field it is, but they have to go beyond the, you know, norm. So, what what happens is there's a non-immigrant version of this. It's called O one. And uh, obviously, it's much easier to get the O1. And uh, the mistake people make is that, you know, since I got an O1, now my next thing is, now let me go for EB1. And uh, sometimes the qualifications fall short uh, of the EB1. Full disclosure, I'm not an immigration attorney. We're talking about immigration here. The reason why we do this is for Im investment-based visas, like, which is basically EB5 on the on, on the permanent side and E2 really on the non-immigrant side, which we can get into later if you like. Okay, so, so yeah, I so, interrupted so, you on EB1. Now I have a better understanding. Can you go to, you know, then- EB2, e, right, right. So EB2 is for people who have a master's and they have a job offer from an institution. And obviously the place cannot hire a local worker, and that's the reason why they're going for a foreign national. And that would be the EB2. There's also the EB2 national interest waiver that sounds and smells very much like EB1. They're also, uh, I mean, the, the, the difference between EB1 and national interest waiver, EB2, very blurry. Again, I'm, I'm not going to go into it, but that's also for exceptional quality, uh, for people who have exceptional qualities. EB3 believe it or not, is a non-skilled worker visa. This is the most fascinating one where uh, you could have a Google, Microsoft, Apple, you know, some company here who doesn't, is not looking for the, the IT guy, the engineer or whatever, but they're looking for unskilled labor. And you figure out what I, what I mean by unskilled, you know, like the, uh, the workers, you know, that are going to do jobs that for whatever reason they can't find U.S. citizens to do. Not that U.S. citizen is not is not capable of doing. They just don't want to do it. So there's a labor so shortage. It's kind of like the hotels and restaurants in Cape Cod hire people to come in internationally to work during the summer. They'd be coming in under the EB-3? Not really. So your questions are amazing. 
It's great. I love this. So no, so there you're going to have a temporary, right? Because you're talking about the summer, they need them for three months. The U.S. government is not going to give these people green cards so that, you know, these places can employ them for three months. We're, we're talking about full-time jobs. We're talking about full-time needs. Like, in other words, in order to be able to do the work that you want to do, the, the, the business that you want to have do, you, you need these people. Like you're in construction business. I mean, let's, let's, you're in construction business. You need construction workers, not because you're going to work from July to August, but you're, this is your business and you're trying to hire them. There's nobody out there. You know, it's just like, and, and you're willing to pay. It's not as if, you know, you, you don't want to pay market rate. It's just you, you want pay market rate. You want to hire unskilled labor, non-skilled labor. And for some reason, you cannot find. So, so there is a way that you could petition and you can bring people 20, 30, 50 of them from different countries and they can come in as a group in the EB3, it's a, it's, it's a growing area and there are people, you know, intermediaries like us, like us. We're not in that business right now, but there are people who are and they connect people who want to immigrate to United States to work in these jobs, sponsors, I mean, employers who are looking so that, for this talent. Like an EB2 where they need to have a job offer and then apply for the visa? Right. But EB2, what we're talking about EB2 is, first of all, skilled, as we say, I mean, right. uh, beyond uh, undergraduate, we're talking about really with a graduate degree. So so really skilled and they have a job offer. So EB2 is happening with, you know, on a one, you know, like like uh, one, one by one basis. Right. Not that EB3 could, could not. I mean, that's right. So so you could have a situation where the person has an undergraduate degree. That's not so bad. I mean, it's a bachelor's degree and has a job offer. He's also going to go through EB3. So he's also going to go through EB3. So in other words, a person wants a job. I, I mean, once a, a company wants to hire a person who does not have a, a master's degree, has undergraduate degree, one person, and have put up ads in the paper, whatever they did, they did whatever they needed to do to see if there will be a U.S. citizen or a green heart holder, somebody who has the permission to work in the, in the United States that would be willing to come to this job. And they couldn't right. find. What I'm wondering they about could, is they couldn't find. heard so many people that will say that they need a job offer to get the visa. So it's not like somebody can apply for a visa and come into the United States and then no, they find need, they a need job. A, they, need, they need a job offer. They need they a need job the offer. Job. They, okay. they, the, the job offer by itself does not is not a sufficient statistic, if you will. It's not. It's not enough. Together with the job, the company has to do what they need to do to find out to to make sure that there is really no talent here locally that would do that 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 kind of job. That's for that's the case for EB2 or EB3. Okay. Then you got the EB4, which is sort of like the green card version of the R1 visa. That's a religious, so your rabbi or a imam or a priest or whatever, some a person of the cloth, is that what you call it? A man of the cloth. You know, so so those people, green card version is EB4. The the ones who are coming here for a year, two year, three year, non-immigrant version is R1. And then finally, we come to the EB5. EB-5 was intended to spur up employment in the United States. So there's a law that passed in 1990. And the, the idea was that a foreigner 
is going to make come here and make an investment for a million bucks. And he's going to, with, with this million bucks, he's going to have the obligation to hire 10 plus, you know, full-time. He was going to create 10 plus full-time positions. And so not only money would come in here, but most more importantly, jobs will be created. So hmm. the US EB-5 system is really, the, the core of it is jobs. Jobs have to be created. So this went on a couple of years, you know, 90, 90, 91, 92. And they found out that the program was very good. It's called the direct EB-5 program. The problem was that a million bucks was not enough to hire 10 people and employ them at least for two years while trying to make money. I mean, it's just like, like it's just the math didn't work then and the math, the, math, the math doesn't work now either. So they created a pilot program called Regional Center Program. So Regional Center Program basically projects the the responsibility of creating these jobs from the center himself to the regional center. And the regional center has the authority from the U.S. government to be able to you know, collect these monies. And it's not all long, no longer uh, one project, one investor. You can have one project and multiple investors. So instead of investing $1 million, you can have 10 investors investing collectively $10 million. And the investor doesn't really have to do the job. In fact, in regional center program, they are all passive. You have a developer, you have a real estate developer who takes in this money and creates the jobs with the money. Now, typically what happens is that in the capital stack of an EB-5 regional center version, you have not only the investors, the EB-5 investors, but you also have the developer who puts money from his own pocket. We call that equity. And then you have a bank that comes in on the top of the capital structure and lends money to the system. So now you see the leverage building up. You have for every dollar, I'll give you sort of the market standard. Of course, this, this, this can change. We look for about 60% of debt from the bank, 20% from the EB-5 investor, 20% from the developer. So, so every dollar now becomes five dollars right so 20 20 60 so every dollar that the investor puts creates really five dollars so because of that uh, obviously it's much much easier to create the jobs you have much more money to you know play around with play play with the developer is not interested in the jobs i mean he's interested in creating jobs because he wants to get the job done but there's not no credit that they need for this you know they just want to make money the the bank that's lending the money also is not is not interested in the jobs in terms of you know so they just want to lend on a secure basis and make money so all those jobs that are created with that inflated number from 1 to 5 gets credited to the investor so in a way what you're seeing here is that the investor wins because at the end of the day for himself for his family and children who are younger than 21 year old unmarried, they can all get the green cards. The developer wins because he gets essentially very favorable funding from the EB-5 investor. 
and and the government wins because you know the government now yes they are giving green cards some people maybe criticize that you know you're inf- you're deflating the value of the green card whatever but at the but at the end of the day a lot of employment is, is created the numbers have changed the law had passed in 1990 up until essentially this year believe it or not in march it was 1 million and if you have a project in a targeted employment area, which is experiencing more than 150% of the unemployment nationwide, so it's, a, it's an area that is has unemployment more than normal, then the the number was less, so 50% instead of a million, half a million. So those numbers have changed. Now, the half a million has become 800,000 and the million, million fifty. So you might say, like, why the million only went up with by 50,000 and the 500 by 300,000? There is some history there. In a, the brief period from November of 2019 up until June of 2021, by regulation, not by change of law, by regulation, the government experimented to tr- take the 500 to 900, the 1 million to 1.8, meaning double, 500, in other words, double of 900, 1.8, just like 1 million was double of half a million, that essentially killed the business. The numbers were just too high for foreigners to afford. So anyway, this is the new law. It comes with a lot of new features, great features that would benefit not only investors who want to come here, but also people who are already here, like students, H-1Bs, who have a job, but on a non-immigrant basis. In the, in the old law, when you applied to EB-5 until you got the green card, which could take two, three, four years, you really had no privileges. In the new law that passed, as I said, in March of this year, we have a what's called concurrent filing. With the concurrent filing, in addition to the EB-5 investment, simultaneously, you can have a, a application for labor certificate and application for um, uh, travel. So once a person can work here and can travel back and forth, I mean, you know, you, you know, green card is great, of course, because once you have a green card for five years, you are eligible for an American citizenship's passport. But other than that, I mean, people. So you see a lot of Indians now with H-1B visas here, a lot of students who are applying and who are benefiting from this new feature of concurrent filing. Okay. So now that I've got the background a bit more clear, I mean, I think there's so many more layers, but I've got the, the, the landscape of it. Can you talk me through like a client story? Tell me about, you know, and I'm trying to tie this back into global marketing, but I'd like to go from a, a client that has, it has to be somebody wealthy that has money that's going to come in and do a project here. So can you think of a good example and walk us through what it looked like? Um, of course. So I would say 80%, and probably my numbers are pretty correct, 80% of the market, believe it or not, are students who are not rich. You know, they're only students. But of course, they have a rich parent. So the parent really gives them the money, which is a acceptable source of funds. You can uh, have the money that you invest in EB-5 obtained as, as a gift. You can have it as a loan. Now, it used to be collateralized loan. Now, it doesn't have to be. It can be unsecured. 
or it can be, of course, earned income. So for the student, it's obvious, you know, they went to school here. They got tremendous theoretical knowledge from the likes of MIT, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, whatever, wherever they want. And it's a shame that they will go back to their country. And over there, I mean, the, 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 the monthly, the yearly salary wages that they are going to make is it's impossible to amortize an American education. You're talking about here with room and board, $250,000 to $300,000, just a bachelor's degree, at least mm-hmm. more nowadays. So it's impossible. But, but if, they, if they get the green cards and they get a job here, they can put that theoretical experience into, and then after five, seven years, eight years, they can go back to their country if that's what they want to do, and they get get, get a middle level or maybe even senior level job. I think you're more interested in the family that is coming in here, sort of a let's say a middle aged, you know, has already you know has has gotten this kind of wealth because. Wait, wait, wait! The- hold on, hold on. Let's dig in. So you're saying that eighty percent of them are students whose parents are buying the opportunity for them to work in the United States and get that that experience. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. What countries are they coming from? Another amazing question. So amazing, great question. So the country that had a monopoly in EB-5 for reasons that I have no idea because I wasn't doing EB-5 back then, was China. Hmm. So just a little background. The EB-5 awards 10,000 visas per year. That's it. You can only hmm. get 10,000 visas globally from all the countries. Now, if you um, assume that a family on the average is three to four people, just as assumption, obviously, that really means 2,500 at most 3,000 investors per year. So that number was fine. Wait, run that uh, by me again. If you have 10,000 visas. If, if you can only if you can only award, that, that's the program. The program for the time being awards on a yearly basis, 10,000 visas, mm-hmm. right? So, what I'm saying is that if, let's say, every applicant had a spouse and two kids, just assume that mm-hmm. every applicant were four people. Mm-hmm. So that means that there will be 2,500 investors with three dependents. So there will be 2,500 applications. Correct? That That can be processed per year. Because anything above that, there's no visa for it. It's a 10,000 visas capped annually. In addition to that, there are other caps, like country caps is 7%. You know, in other words, no country can get more than 700 visas unless, of course, there's no other country. So in the case where, that's what that's where I'm going with this. You know, in up until 2015, 14, I mean, long time, right? 1990. I mean, what's this, 20 years, 25 years? I mean, I'm a Wall Street veteran, Wendy. I've worked in Wall Street essentially all my life. I didn't know about EB-5. <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. This was a well-kept secret for so many years. Right. I mean, people in Wall Street, I mean, it's because it's a Wall Street product, by the way. You know, the, what the investor is buying is a private placement. It's a private placement. You're right. They're buying a security. They're putting the money in. And they are buying a security because this security, you know, pays a very, very small interest rate. But at the end, you know, they get their money back. 
and uh, you know you have to do the due diligence. You know, this is this is a real security, real investment. It, it, it tied to immigration, but anyway, so it was really among the Chinese. So what happened is that Chinese started applying. Way more number of Chinese started applying than the the two thousand, three thousand, four thousand, whatever it is. So, what happened? All those applications, because of the non availability of visas, because again, ten thousand visas per year, started backlog. So those people got into the queue. Mm -hmm. By the by, two thousand fifteen, it was so bad that there were 50,000, 60,000, 80,000, I mean, I don't know the numbers, but crazy number of applications pending for processing. So you would you you would say, like, how long will this China, it will take for EB-5 to process for this Chinese person? You know, I've heard numbers 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, horror stories. So as a result, what used to be a Chinese market and no other country, essentially, I mean, we can look at the statistics, but I think I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right. It became a no Chinese market and it got replaced by India, Vietnam, Korea, you know, Brazil, Russia, you know, all the other countries. So once the product started to be marketed in other places, so obviously people have started hearing it. So the the but your question was how you know what what countries so China China is has been the the prominent still is in a in a way because obviously you know these people have pending applications but now with the new law just as an aside the Chinese market is picking up again because there is a carve out in the new law for a type of targeted employment area. So do you remember what I said about targeted employment area? I said that targeted employment area, which enjoys less investment amount, in other words, not the million 50 in the new law, but 800,000, it has three different categories, infrastructure, rural, or just a regular, you know, targeted employment area with, you know, experiencing a low on it, high unemployment, more than, more than normal, 150%. So the rural ver version, version has been allocated 2,000 of the, of the 10,000 visas. For, and for what is that? What area? Rural, rural, rural projects. So, oh, so you're in wow. uh, Montana, so... you're in Utah, you're in some, you know, and I, I, I don't exactly, the definition is maybe the, the population, I think is like less than 20,000 or something. Maybe, you know, I mean, there, there is a, official definition of what rural means. As long as your area where the project is going to be designated, that that area is designated as rural, then that project enjoys this special treatment of 2,000 of the 10,000 visas. And what happens is that they get allocated special treatment and they are not subject to this retrogression that we're talking about for the Chinese. So there is a huge demand for this kind of projects now, good ones of course, by the by the Chinese. And in addition, because of the because of the concurrent filing that I already spoke about, a student, a Chinese student, for example, here by investing in a rural project, 
can essentially within a, within a year, year and a half, whatever, get himself. I mean, I mean, uh, what a year? Six months. Six months. He can get a, a work permit. Wow. And travel and yeah. Yeah, so okay. so and and the, and the green card will be much faster because they are going to be able to the, the visa visa the the will be available on a rural project. Okay, so there's kind of three areas people can in, uh, invest in: infrastructure, rural development, and then what was the third one? Standard, like what we've always had: targeted employment area. In other words, the area is experiencing. 150% of the national average in unemployment. So let's say in average employment is, let's say, I don't know today what it is, say 3%. So this area is experiencing 4.5%. Now, let me okay. say something on the side. There is also the area and adjacent municipalities to that area. Maybe it's just going to get too technical. So there is the area, and then there is the, the there's adjacent areas that are touching this, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. So the old law allowed you to be able to do gerrymandering and yeah. have the area as big as you want, right? So in other words, not only this area where the project is, not only the area that is touching it, but an area that is touching that, that is touching that. So you could have the entire U.S. if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. I was literally a loophole. So the new law eliminated that. And then in the new law, you can still, for calculating whether you are eligible for targeted employment area, you can still use an adjacent municipality, whatever you call uh, MSA, I think it's called. Okay, it's Marco, I'm going to jump you because you are... Obviously, if I ever need a visa, you are the person to call because it's going so down into the details. But I want to jump us back right, up right, to right, the right, global right. market. I'm sorry. I, I knew this is going to get too technical. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, you, when you said apologies. this is going to get too technical, I thought, oh, I'll apologies. give you a minute and see where it goes. <laughs> but I want to pull this back in because part of me looks at it and says, wow, this is just another way. For, and hang with me for this thought. It's another way for the rich to get richer. It's a way for people to bypass immigration by giving money to the United States. So it's a, it's a way to buy a visa. But on the other hand, there's huge advantages for people in global marketing to get that cross-cultural experience. Can you comment on both those views? Well, the richer is not getting richer. First of all, I mean, I don't know what your definition of rich is, but I'll tell you where the wealth for EB-5, so the where, where, how wealthy a typical EB-5 investor is. Let's, 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 let's. So obviously, if you're going to invest almost a million dollars with the expenses and all that, we're talking about $900,000. So you should have at least a million in your own. That's, that's your number that is just going to go and probably be locked up for five to seven years. Mm -hmm. So that would be my probably... definition of global wealth is anybody who has a million dollars, they can put into something that's locked. Right. Up for so five so years. how much, so how much do they have? So, so they obviously have to have a few, 
a few of those because if they lock that up and then they have no money to 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 live on, they are not exactly. wealthy, right? Most That's people so, in the world don't have that. We're talking the top right, one to two right, percent. Right, so, right. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh okay. yeah. So 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 they their typical investment is may I mean the the wealth is like three to ten million dollars maybe. If you really push it for fifteen, but any anybody that is that has wealth above that number is not doing EB five. At least I I haven't seen them. There's other alternatives for them, such as you know what we talked about in the very beginning of this conversation, doing the 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 original way of EB five. They can come here, they open up a business here, they can hire ten people or more. Mm. Why not? They don't invest a million dollars. They invest ten million dollars. You know, you know, they invest fifty million dollars. So there are there and there are certain people like that. So those okay. are not uh, those are not uh, the the people we're talking about here. We're talking about the the more. I mean, the guys investing a million dollars maybe has a couple other you know on the on the on the, on the side. I think he's not getting richer in the sense that I mean, all he wants is to be able to live here. And he wants to be able to work here, and he's anxiously waiting for the money to come back. And it comes, it gets tied up for five, seven years. But this method allows him to get employment. So he's getting a green card, and with this green card, he can get a job. Either obviously he puts up his own company, and he doesn't have the obligation to create you know, 10 jobs, 20 jobs, because that obligation has been diffused to the regional center. So now he can have your typical, you know, small, small little business here and he can make a living. Oh. So, and in terms of us, you know, let's say the United States side, you know, the beneficiary of this, uh, you're creating jobs. It's it's very important. I mean, you, 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 you know, 3,000 investment, the investors is creating 30,000 jobs, 30,000, you know, 10. And most projects have a buffer, at least 30, 40, 50%, some even higher. So you're talking about 50,000 jobs per year, maybe more, that are being created through this system. So U.S. is also benefiting out of this. There's no question. Okay. And what about the individuals? You know, what kind of roles do they go into and how are they benefiting from, you know, to, so now tie it into the global marketing. Are they getting into global business? Are they doing more local business? What are they learn from living in the United States? Do they stay in the United States? These are all the kind of questions I have about the, the people who are going they, through this. They they try to do what they did back in their countries if they are not retired, you know, if they are in the age that, and we're talking about, again, a very small crook section because I already am on record that 80% are, are students. Are, so we're talking about a smaller amount, a number of people. Well, yeah, but no, these I'm are, talking about the students too. I mean, if eighty oh, percent of the... Uh, the the students get their, I mean, the students are having a life here, just like a regular American who goes to college and whatever you know specialty they 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 are in IT, they are in legal, they are in med school. I mean, they're in you know whether whether specialty, they're in every specialty, and and they you know what basically the EB five provides them is freedom. So once they get the green card, even an application, Wendy, you know, the, the fact that you have an application pending is ma makes the jo job search much, much easier. I mean, I went through it myself. You know, I, I, I came here, you know, without, obviously without a green card and I graduated. And, you know, when, when I was doing interviewing, 
up until the dreaded question that used to come to me. So how are you planning to you know work for us? Like in other words, we like you. You know, you, you have the skills. Are you are, how are you going to work for us? So I would say, you know, I was hoping that you would sponsor me. <laughs> and they go like, we'll be back to you. We'll, we'll, we, will, we will get back to you. That was the last thing that I would hear from. We will get back to you. So since this, you, you, won't, you won't hear this with the, with the EB-5 applicant when they say, how are you planning to work for us? He's not going to say, I was hoping that you would sponsor me. He will say, I have an EB-5 application. And guess what? I just got my labor certificate approved because I applied, you know, three months, six months ago, I can work for you now. This is huge. Because the alternative is that they can work as an OPT. You know what OPT is? Optional practical training. Mm -hmm. So on a non-STEM student, you know, who's not science, technology, engineering, or math, these are STEM. STEM is, you know, those four areas. If you're not one of those, you get one year. That's it. One year of OPT. After that, you got to go back to your country. STEM gets three years, but either way, the employer, you know, is going to train you, is going to spend time on you, money on you to, to you know, and then all of a sudden, you got to go back because you don't have the right visa. Mm -hmm. Now, the H-1B, which was very popular, you know, in my time, you know, when, 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 when I went through this process, is now subject to lottery. So the employer gives you a job offer as, as you know, when you, you know, graduating, you get a job, job offer, but your name has to be picked from the lottery, 25% chances, 30% chances that your name will be picked. If it's not picked, go back again. So the EB-5 gives tremendous advantages to these students who are graduating to be able to, you know, go into the field that they are trained in. Okay. And what's the advantage to to companies for hiring people with this experience, with multicultural experience? The tremendous advantage, right? Because, you know, without this, they will have to settle not for the best candidate, but the candidate who happens to have a work permit, meaning U.S. citizen or a green card holder or whatever it is. But but with this, with this now, all of a sudden, for the company, the horizon is, you know, much, you know, in other words, they can hire merit-based as opposed to, based on merit, as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, who has, who, who, who has work permit and who, who can actually work here and who cannot. And, and, uh, you know, I, I am sure you're aware that, you know, the best universities are full of international students. Yeah, I mean, huge. And so, I mean, the, the, the employers want to be able to hire them if these international students are good. Right. I mean, that's what America is about. So right. you, you want to be able to hire them, but you cannot. So if, if, if in the future there is legislation that says, in England came up with this, in, in England they came up with this, they said that if you're in, from a very you know, prominent university and you have you know, qualifications, in other words, we will, we will allow you, you know, we will give you a work permit. Here in this country, we don't have that yet. Oh, okay. Now, when did England do that? Was that after Brexit? Very, very recently. Very recently. <laughs> very, very, very recently. Very recently. I'm sure because they lost all the people that were coming in from Europe to work because of that. Yeah. Very recently. Yeah. Yes. 
So yeah, so this is this is fabulous. It's not a direct correlation to global marketing, but it has so many repercussions for it. Because if you get people with international experience, American trained, and they've got connections back in their home company countries, they can certainly help U.S. companies grow. So it's hundred percent. Yeah, I mean for for making U.S. companies international. And for U.S. companies to be able to have, you know, presence in back there in in the in, the, in their home countries, this is a, this is a huge thing for globalization, I believe. Yeah. 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 All right. I uh, we're we're running short of time, and I'm not sure I gave you this warning that at the end of every global marketing show podcast, we ask what is your favorite word. And favorite, I mean, you already speak Turkish and Latino Spanish. And so, you know, it can, and English. So it can be a word in any of those languages or from any, any language. You see, I'm rambling a little bit to give you time to think of your favorite foreign word. You ready? Oh, or I uh, keep oh, oh I, I, I have my word, you know. Okay. Not, not, uh, it, it's, uh, I mean, you might wonder why. I, I, I can't even tell you why. My favorite word is carpus. 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 What does it mean? It means watermelon. And it's what it means watermelon in Turkish. And all my kids, you know, the first Turkish the first word they learned is carpus, even before mommy, mommy, daddy. And that's uh, now you ask me. I mean, it's obvious, I guess, because I love watermelon. I can I can finish a whole watermelon in one in one sitting. <laughs> No matter how big it is. <laughs> and I know, and you know, I know it in Hebrew. I mean, I know, I know Carpus in many, many, many languages that I don't speak that well, but I know, I know, I know how to say it. <laughs> so how would you, you know, phonetically spell that for me so I can get the pronunciation right? How would you, Carpus? You can, K, I guess, uh, phonetically, K, A, R, I mean, the way we spell it, it, it we spell it in Turkish K A R P U Z, which is quite Arpuz. phonetic. Okay. But but it's not that phonetic. I guess you want to say maybe O U Z or. Carpus. No, that's good. Uh, uh, oh, that's good. Yeah. 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 That's perfect. I love that. Any final recommendations for our listeners about our conversation today? Global visas or visas or living internationally? <laughs> I'll leave it wide open. Re re recommendation in what field? In your field? In my field? In every field? Or final I mean, uh, I, I, do, I do, I do, I do, not, not that I want to, I, I do agree with you that, you know, Correct translations are pretty important. And I'll tell you because of my own business, I don't know if you had a chance to visit our website. We have 25 different languages there. <laughs> and, you know, not like, what did you say in uh, 200 languages? What did you say? 200? No, we don't have 200, but we have the 25 that are probably relevant to EB5 from, you know, countries that have a influx from to United States, especially with EB5. And I was very careful not to just use Google Translate, like some of my competitors have found an easy way. I did use, you know, real people and uh, get it edited many, many, many times. And so I think, I think it's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. So, so I, I echo what you say all the time that, you know, sometimes machine translations can, can be funny and can be embarrassing. 
And so, so, so I agree with that. And, and it's very relevant for our business. You know, I mean, in our business, you're talking about people, you know, in the morning in Brazil and the night in Vietnam, Korea, I mean, all over the world. Right. And, right. uh, and, you know, you have to be uh, cognizant. And if these people choose not to speak in English and they want to speak in our local tongue because it's easier for them. I mean, you know, we went through really, really tip of the iceberg, but this stuff can get really complicated. You know, when before you're going to park from your $800,000 and you're going to write that check, you really want to understand every part of this, you know, what's going to happen to you. So it's important that we address the people in their native tongue sometimes. and yeah, yeah, a couple of thoughts there is, is when you're addressing them in their native tongue, Rapport International also offers telephone interpreting to help facilitate conversations. So Marco, this conversation has been absolutely fascinating. And there may be people who are interested because we're the, the podcast, the Global Marketing Show is downloaded in over 55 or 60 countries now. So where can people reach out to you if they're interested in connecting with you? They they can come to reach us through WhatsApp. I guess that's the easiest way. I mean, I don't mind giving the number out. It's 917-355-9251. That's the WhatsApp number. And they can, of course, write us at info, I-N-F-O, at America, just like the country, America with a C. E like Edward, B like boy, number five, EB5. Visa, just like the credit card, visa.com. Info at americaeb5visa.com. That would be through email. They can go to our website, wamericaeb5visa.com, and there's a contact form there. They can fill up the contact form, and it will just come straight to our office, and we will get back to them within 24 hours. Fantastic. That's great. So if you are interested in learning more about the EB-5 visas or any of the visas, I'm sure he'd know exactly where to send you. So thank you for tuning into this episode of the Global Marketing Show. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor for the show, certainly reach out to us. You can go to globalmarketingshow.com. It'll bring you to the landing page for it, and you can reach out to us on there. So thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.